You're listening to a classic business podcast as heard on Classic 1027. 1027. Well, it's getting to that stage of the year where we have a look at the halfway mark, some of the big numbers that have really defined the first half of this year as June nears a close. 1.9 million, that's the global COVID deaths from January to June, already higher than uh, 2020's toll. 57%, that's the percentage of American adults who've been fully vaccinated against less than 4% here in South Africa and 5,000%, well, that's uh, the surge, uh, not in frustration, although it could be uh, in response to level four adjusted lockdown. That's the surge in the price of Dogecoin this year so far. Markers today, uh, well, we started uh, in the red uh, and it was pretty volatile uh, through the course of the day. We ended uh, down just over 400 points at 65,809 points on the Ulshi. Preston Aaron Sammy, who's a portfolio manager at Nedbank Private Wealth and Carolyn Kremen, portfolio manager at Advice Works have your market view on a day Preston where sum it up for me uh, it was all about locally that uh, announcement by the president last night Good evening, Michael, to both you, your listeners, and, and Caroline as well. Um, yeah, definitely, Michael, you know, um, it, it was a very volatile day. You know, my initial sense coming into the day was that, um, you know, the markets will kind of look through everything, vaccines still on its way. This is a short 14-day period, although, you know, the, the Delta strain is quite, uh, it's quite a severe strain. I thought the market would look through it, but, but not so, uh, Michael. You know, our, our market... Um, looks like they're taking the strain a lot more seriously and you know we literally got smashed today you know hospitality sector came under massive pressure the likes of Sogo Sun both you know gaming hotels Sun International City Lodge you know all of those counters were down you know between, between five to ten percent um, our property sector got smashed um, especially our um, property counters with retail mall exposure the likes of high top Bukile and the like and then, you know, even our discretionary retailers, uh, Michael, Fushini, uh, Truett, uh, you know, all coming under massive pressure. So uh, it looks like, you know, just, mm. just a red day across the board on our local market. Yeah, a red day across the board, I think, about sums it up. Uh, and I'm not surprised the property counters, uh, Preston, were uh, as severely impacted as they were. Just walking around uh, Rosebank earlier today, I uh, for a moment forgot that uh, even sit-down coffee shops were closed. I wanted to just grab a coffee and open up my laptop and do a bit of work on the run. And I couldn't do that. Uh, and the place was like some dystopian nightmare, being uh, patrolled by Uber Eats drivers and security guards and no one else in sight. Carolyn, that is the feeling, I think, for many small businesses, particularly in the hospitality and retail trade at the moment. Yeah, look, I think they were on their last legs. So many of them, you know, it was the first lockdown, the issues with ESCOM, and you know, the fact that people really haven't run back to restaurants as, as one would expect it. So I, I'm, I'm, actually, I'm actually very surprised about the market reaction today that it was as extreme because we knew around the middle of last week that there were stronger restrictions coming. So it really shouldn't have been a surprise. I think the surprise for me up until this point this year is how strong the property market actually has been. Yeah. Um, you know, which is completely counterintuitive and, and frankly not quite logical. So I think we're going to, you know, we've got unemployment figures coming out. I don't think they're going to be a reflection of what we're going to see, um, you know, in the third quarter because, you know, this is really going to push so many of those small coffee shops that you like, those small franchises just just really out of business because their margins are never high and 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 their rents are not 
you know, there's no rent relief. Uh, they're just not going to exist anymore. I'll be very surprised now. And perhaps, uh, Preston, to bring you back in on this point, perhaps the market taking a look at uh, a 14-day lockdown and the government's response and saying we're likely to get an extension, considering that if you project the numbers out by two weeks, it's unlikely, looking at the trend, that the numbers are going to be any better when we sit down for our family lecture, because it's not a family meeting. We can't ask questions. It's certainly a lecture by the president who tells us uh, how bad we've been and uh, not uh, obeying the, the various non-pharmaceutical interventions. But I can't see the lockdown ending in two weeks' time. Perhaps the market's saying this could be the whole of July. Yeah, I, I share your sentiments and thoughts there, Michael. You know, uh, you know, just reading today, looking at the likes of Israel, you know, where you know they, you know, they've got most of the population vaccinated, and yet people, uh, you know, individuals are still picking up the strain. And if you look at, you know, the emerging market of uh, economies, um, you know, we are way behind with, with with vaccinations, and South Africa within that emerging market part, uh, you know, we even lagging our emerging market peers. So, you know, uh, I, I, I think, you know, that, you know, maybe we've taken this uh, strain a little bit too lightly and maybe we haven't reacted uh, as swift as we as swiftly yeah. as we should have given what we've seen uh, out of India and the likes. And, uh, um, yeah, we've got a long way to go, Michael. And, I, you know, me, myself, I, I can't see um, this just being a 14-day um, you know, kind of level four lockdown. I think there's yep. probably more more pressure to come. Uh, let's move on to some other interesting corporate uh, news today. A story broken by uh, the excellent Duncan McLeod of Tech Central uh, along the lines that uh, EOH is continuing its cleanup. Uh, and we know Stephen Van Collar has been really ruthless about uh, restoring the reputation, the very badly damaged reputation of this IT company. Uh, the founder, Asher Bobot, is being sued for 1.7 billion rand. Uh, Gian Mackay, uh, King, the, the other director, and I recall at the time when when uh, when, when GN Mackay was was trading and only uh, alerting shareholders via sends uh, several weeks after the fact, uh, and I bemoaned on the show why the JSE wasn't moving. It's great to see, Carolyn, that the that the the sword of accountability is is going to fall eventually. I hope so, and, and I really, you know, I real very personally invested in this because you know, when I was working at a certain bank, they used to come in and chat to us often, various members of EOH's management team, and we questioned them about, and this is before everything went awry, we questioned them about governments and the government contracts that they have, and, you know, you'll have to find out everything's fine, everything's fine. So the fact that somebody is actually going to hold them accountable, if they knew or if they didn't know, it, it makes absolutely no difference. They had a fiduciary duty to their shareholders. I have clients who had shares in the company in lieu of their retirement funds. Um, it's it wiped people out. And, and let's be fair, these guys are still very wealthy. So you might not get your billions, but you know they, they need to feel the impact. And symbolically, Preston, this sends out all the right messages about recalibrating the the ethical frameworks of uh, corporate South Africa. And Stephen Van Collar, if you look at what the spokesman is quoted as saying in this article on Tech Central, uh, saying that EOH is being very careful about who it chooses to pursue so that it doesn't squander shareholder resources on extensive litigation. They must feel that they've got a pretty sound case. 
Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, I agree there, you know, Michael. I mean, uh, it's been it's been two hectic years of grinding and cleaning out all of these gremlins uh, in the closet for 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 Stephen from Collar and the team. Um, but yeah, I think it's you know it's a real eye opener. We, we tend to always focus on you know corruption within government here in South Africa, so a real eye opener. Um, but you know, with that being said, you know, although there's a lot being put into this. Uh, Michael, you know, there's also been a lot of criticism, which um, hasn't been, you know, good for Stephen and the team. And uh, from an operational perspective, um, you know, <laughs> it, it's probably been very difficult for the business, even if you look at their recent, you know, trading updates, you know, a few months back, uh, having to deal with all of this and then having to focus on the business and growth. Uh, you know, so it, 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 it's a difficult one, and, you know, but, you know, kudos for them for what, what they are doing. And I hope that. Um, you know, this trend of what we're seeing eventually filters into other uh, corporates and management teams and, you know, this, this starts to become the way we, you know, run business here in South Africa in general. Uh, operationally, I, t I tend to agree with you, Preston. I think uh, a company like EOH couldn't have had more of a tailwind than what we saw during COVID. Uh, everyone overnight had to become an expert in working off-site on teams, became very familiar with uh, the cloud and all of those technologies that uh, IT companies try and sell. And it is uh, a time and a period where a company like EOH should really be excelling. That hasn't come through operationally, but uh, quite clearly, a lot of legacy issues still to clean up there. Speaking, Preston, about legacy issues, coal is being confined in some quarters to a legacy issue. And we see that, uh, you know, with the listing of Tungela coal, everyone questioned uh, when it fell on the first day whether or not this is the end of coal. But it, it tends to forget that emerging markets still have coal in their energy mix until 2050 at least uh, and these assets uh, have to find a home somewhere and we see anglo exiting to glencore and glencore uh, no stranger to controversy saying we'll quite happily take on some of the environmental risks uh, because when we talk about esg there's a big social and governance uh, G in that acronym and that's where it feels it can add value yeah, you know, so, you know, Glencore looking at this, this deal and looking at it from more of a risk-reward uh, perspective, Michael, and then, you know, this, this deal actually works well for Glencore, uh, Angles, and, and BHP. So for, for BHP and, and Angles, they're probably looking at this from an ESG perspective, uh, portfolio optimization, cleaning up, um, you know, their book. I mean, it's a small contributor to their book. And, you know, this asset has been hurt by, by social unrest, you know, in, the, you know, in Colombia. So, you know, really benefiting, um, you know, all parties. And, you know, the, you know just the, the, the thermal coal the, the contribution to Glencore, it's about, you know, 10 to 20% of their profits, you know, depending on what spot price you look at. Um, but, yeah, it, it just seems that Glencore is committed to, to running these mines, mines for the next... 30 years or so, so um, and with a commitment to reduce uh, emissions over time. So although, you know, it's the most polluting fuel, Michael, if you, if you look at it, um, you know, there's, there's, like you mentioned, emerging markets, uh, there's probably a lot of runways for here. Uh, but from an ESG perspective, the likes of Anglos and BHP, looking at it from that perspective and uh, choosing to, to, to get this off the table and pass it on to Glencore to, to, to handle the business. Yeah, I suppose you can also look at it through the perspective and the lens of rather in the hands of a big listed uh, commodities trader and player like Glencore, which has the balance sheet and backs uh, expertise to deliver on those promises, then selling off to uh, smaller players uh, who might not uh, be as uh, firm on the G, the governance issues around uh, post-mine rehabilitation and closure and those kinds of things, still uh, enough to divide 
worldwide markets, uh, but we've seen what Tungela's uh, price has done, and uh, Glencore up uh, just over 90% year-to-date. Uh, tells you all you need to know about what investors feel about Glencore with the, its oil and coal assets. Uh, Invicta, uh, Carolyn, if you look at uh, this one, for, for a long time, has had issues with the taxman, uh, but coming right uh, since the, the, the appointment of, uh, uh, of Stephen Joffe as CEO from ENX, and uh, a nice uh, 60 cent dividend uh, was that uh, in these results not too bad yes it, it was a nice dividend my personal wish is you know they they have the opportunity in this environment to forego the dividend you know people will forgive them in the environment that they that they're currently operating in and i, I really wish they'd actually done that until the restructuring and the strategy change was complete you know again kudos to them for the, the steps that they have taken they're certainly moving in the right direction they're trading better, the mining agricultural revenue was down, but, but at least they're, they're in profit. But it, nobody faults the company at this point where we are in this environment for skipping a dividend. <laughs> and I'd rather not hear that they sold a company, um, you know, to improve their balance sheet and then pay a dividend <laughs> rather than mm. fix the company. But that's, that's maybe just short my termism. Yes, I hear what you're saying there, Carolyn, about short-termism in this environment. Carolyn Kremen, Portfolio Manager and Advice Works, and Preston Naran Sami, Portfolio Manager at NetBank Private Wealth, with your Monday View.